Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 192. This week of football had a lot of weirdness and some cool stats in it. A couple of those from the NFL where we had a uh, 10 to 11 score game, which was not a scoregami somehow. Three safeties throughout this past weekend in the NFL. One of them being Jimmy G walking out the back of the end zone, joining a very exclusive club of quarterbacks to do that. And of course, the Seahawks getting 420 yards of offense across 69 plays. While these are all very nice stats, what we really want to start talking about is the Iowa State game since we are a Midwestern-based sports podcast? Yeah, I mean, so we will we will get to talking about um, the officiating in a little bit because um, we know that's a big controversy. Um, but I want to talk about some other things first because I feel like we can easily get derailed by talking about that, and I want to make sure I get my other points in here. Um, so first of all, I guess what I want to say is. The defense didn't play well enough for us to win this game. Yes, you can make an argument that the officials cost us, but the defense did not play well enough to win this game. You're at home. You can't give up 31 points. Baylor is not an offensive juggernaut. Um, they're a good team, no doubt, but defense was sort of their uh, their calling card. They're not an offensive juggernaut, and uh, the defense just didn't, didn't play well enough um, for the Cyclones to win this game. I thought they were especially bad guarding the tight end on play action. I can't count the number of times that the the linebacker on or on the the weak side, the side the play action wasn't to, just bit so hard on the play action that a tight end was wide open. It had to happen at least three or four times. Somebody has to contain that edge. Somebody has to do it, and we just weren't doing it all game. Um, I don't know. What ha- but that has to get fixed. We can't be that uh, we can't be that susceptible to the play action all year, or teams are just going to kill us. Specifically, teams like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, the offense, on the other hand, I think for the most part, the offense did pretty well. I thought uh, Jill Brock played a great game. Um, he, I thought he got banged up um, in that first quarter when he took that really hard hit to his shoulder, which probably should have been targeting. Um, if we're being honest, that seemed more blatant than the one that was called on Iowa State early in the game. He had another one right to his head near the end of the game. Yes, in the yeah, in the second half. But despite all of that, he still had uh, he still had seventy three yards rushing, a five point two um, yards per rush average. He also had a really good. Um, uh, he also had seventeen yards through the air, including or uh, receiving, including a touchdown. Um, no, the stats weren't there, but I thought he played really well. He made some defenders miss and made some nice moves. Um, that was really nice to see. Um, also, you've got to give him props for falling on that football in the end zone and getting a knee down um, on that fumble that turned into a tu- that was turned into a touchdown. There, like it's very easy to fumble that football and just sort of give up on it, but he dove on that ball and that kept Iowa State in the game. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that he actually recovered it, but uh, we'll call it a makeup call from the uh, beginning of the game. They must have had like some other angle though, right? Yeah. Like for, the only one that I saw in the stadium anyway was like a top down kind of view where you can't really tell where his knee comes down at. 
Yeah, the the knee the knee definitely so from what they were showing on TV, the knee definitely came down in bounds. But what you couldn't tell is whether he had the ball, we had control of the ball when the knee came down in bounds, right? So they, I, my guess is the replay booth was able to stitch together two angles and sync them up. One angle where it was obvious when he controlled the ball, and another one where that angle showed it was obvious his knee was down in bounds. That's my guess is the only way they could return it. To say we can see it for sure, you know, I I never saw something I that would make me overturn it by what they called on the field. So I was just surprised that they felt confident enough to overturn the call on the field. Yeah, I I agree with that. I was slightly surprised to see that overturned. Well, I don't think they overturned the call on the field though, right? They just kind of they tacked on a ruling. Yeah, because yeah. They, like the verbiage there was actually really interesting. He said, uh, while it's obvious that the call on the field right was that it was a touchback i guess so you're right they did overturn that part of it but the portion where he said it yeah. is obvious that the the runner lost control of the ball prior to the goal line however and he went on with what they found out free play i don't think i've ever heard that before i thought that was kind of interesting it was nice to get a full explanation from him though it was like this is exactly what we saw and this is exactly what we called that was very nice to see but yes I think he played I think he played a great game and definitely on that run he was gassed and hurting you could see it in that run like he broke two tackles that I don't think even he was really even trying to break cuz he was just dead and then they like failed to tackle him so he just like kept running he was he was gassed on that run Another offensive player who played a great game was Dimitri Stanley um, he, uh, caught the touchdown pass from Deckers at the end of the first half. He also had, uh, four total catches for 55 yards. Um, we've been looking for who's going to step up and be that third receiver, um, after Noel and Hutchinson, who both played fairly good games as well. Maybe Stanley's that answer. I was hoping it was going to be Sean Shaw, but he hasn't showed much through four weeks. Um, so maybe it'll be Stanley. Um, it was good to see he was getting open in some key spots and made some nice catches too on, on a third down at one point in the game. Um, so that was good to see. Um, another great game that he gave shout outs to the, the punter slash kicker Perkins. Um, he punted, I thought he punted phenomenally and the numbers bear that out. Four punts, 48 yard average with two inside the 20, including a long of 61. That's a great game punting. Um, he actually didn't kick, so I, Gilbert kicks and Perkins punts. But anyway, Perkins had a great game punting. He's got to be the uh, the full-time punter moving forward. He's been been awesome for the freshman. And I thought the onside kick at the end of the game also looked really good. As far as onside kicks go, that was a great chance. So that was from Ben Garbarini, which was the I punt thought. that I he wasn't on the like... box score. Oh, really? That's yeah. totally who it was. Garbarini is not listed, but he is the one that it kicked was Garbarini, yeah. yeah. So I did not like his punts because he punted a couple times last game and the game before and they, they were yeah. pretty bad. So I'm really bad that Perkins was really glad that Perkins is is punting now. But Garbarini, yeah, the onside kick was beautiful. That was textbook. Yeah, he had good spin. Uh, if that's half an inch further away from that Baylor player, it bounces off his hands and it's our ball. So yeah. that was very good. We, there were some bounces that didn't go our way. There was the that first interception from Hunter Deckers was sort of unfortunate. Um he he hit Hutchinson and then Hutchinson got hit and it bounced off his hands off another defender to another defender. Like, I'm sure he maybe led Hutchinson a little too far on that one, but I don't really blame Hunter Deckers for that. His no. receiver caught the ball. And I then thought Hunter played 
okay. Like, I didn't think he played bad. He didn't play great. I thought he was very fine. I, I think, I I think a lot that. of times is all you're going to need. Like, as long as he can do okay, really unfortunate bounce on that one. If you take away that interception, he had a pretty decent game. Yeah, and the other interception was on fourth down. So yeah. it was like, you know, you right, you got to throw it somewhere. We call it an arm punt. Yeah. So I do think, though, he needs to have better vision of the whole field. I feel like there were a couple instances this game where he threw contested balls um, when he had open receivers in other places. Um, now, some of those contested balls were caught. Um, Noel and Stanley had some great ca- – and Hutchinson all had great catches on um, contested balls at points in this game. Um, but I thought he didn't necessarily need to throw um, those when he did. I thought he had some open receivers that could have done um, just as well. Um, and I think he needs to um, just be okay pulling it down and running it some more. Yes. He is so reticent to thr- to run. Like he he pulls the ball down, takes a couple steps, pump fakes, then he like slowly goes out. If he would just go, he'd be fine. But he takes so long that the defense can key on him, and he, we get like a slow, slow three yard run. Yeah, yeah. If he could, yeah. If he pulls it down a little bit sooner, he can pick up uh, pick up some first downs um, in key situations with his legs. So, but overall, he he was okay. I mean, he threw two touchdown passes. Kyle's write that down prediction is almost assuredly to be wrong at this point, unless he gets hurt, right? And he's already got 10 touchdown passes. So if he can get five more in nine games, I think that's going to happen, presuming he doesn't get hurt. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, it's going to be a long yeah, rest. It's going to be a rough season. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about before um, we get into the penalties, and I know, Wyatt, you've been doing a lot of looking at those penalties here, um, is... I. I don't know about you guys' take, but I don't. Will McDonald is not having a good year. Will McDonald and the pass rush. Our pass rush has been non-existent overall for the whole year, and that's been part of the that's the, our main problem with the defense is like we can cover for so long, but they literally just stand around and stand around and stand around. And if they don't find a guy, then they just tuck it and run. And we're so far back there; it feels like it's yards every time. Yeah, what Will McDonald has one sack on the season? Yes, I think. He does. I think MJ Anderson is um, having a really good season. Um, he had a tackle for loss and three tackles um, today. He would have had a sack. Um, he had a sack on a play that was overturned by penalties um, in this game. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's having a pretty good year personally. But um, I apologize. Will McDonald has one and a half sacks gotcha. and a fumble recovery. But yeah, not not really as much production as you're looking for for supposedly no. first team All American. Yeah, not what you want to see you for. every game. I want to see you take over the game because you're supposed to be the best in the country at your position. It's not been great. No, and we're gonna need him to these next couple of games as we'll get into um, shortly. But want to get into um, the three sort of controversial um, penalty calls that we had in the game. The first one was I think it was on the third or fourth play of the game where um, Bo Freeler got called for targeting um, against a running back on a run play. Um, this was not called on the field. Nobody was even thinking about it. And then right before Baylor snapped it, the review booth um, whistles down that they want to review it. Um, and they end up calling targeting. Um, I'll let Wyatt talk about whether it was by the letter of the rule, but the spirit of the rule is not to eliminate that play. That's not why targeting is in the rule book to eliminate a play like that. It's it's not. 
that's not a play that people get hurt on. That the rule is not in place for a play like that. Wyatt, what do you think about by the letter of the rule? Is that a good call or not? I think you can you can make the argument either way here. And my opinion is if you're going to call this targeting, you should look at the three other helmet-to-helmet scenarios that happened throughout the rest of the game and also call them targeting. There was two against Baylor and one against Iowa State where all three of those looked a heck of a lot worse, even in real time. We always talk about how uh, you lose context in slow-mo replay and things can look worse uh, on replay. And in real time, all three of those looked so much worse than this first call here. There was contact that was helmet to helmet here. It was not leading with the crown of the helmet, and the initial contact between the helmet to helmet was not on the crown either. It was kind of the side of the helmet and the side of the helmet. But the initial, the, the brunt of the contact was shoulder to shoulder. I, I don't like the booth buzzing this one down. I think if we threw a flag on the field and then look at it, it could kind of go either way there. But buzzing that down from the booth and not doing it for the rest of those three other targeting um, what I think should have been called target anyway, to me is just inconsistent. I, I don't understand why they did that. Yeah, I I was I didn't love the call, but I was yeah I was much more concerned with the inconsistency of those calls than I was with the the call itself. Like if if that is what targeting is going to be, I hate it, but so be it. But then call it right. If that's what targeting is, like you said, we probably had four or five more targetings in that game. There were the three that were obvious, and there were probably, by that standard, there were probably a couple more that nobody even noticed because nobody noticed that one either. Uh, so, yeah, it's, to me, it's the consistency more than the content. I don't love the the, the content of that penalty, but um, the the consistency was was really poor. When I say it was, it's kind of 50-50 when you look at it. Targeting basically has certain indicators of targeting. So there's not like one thing that says, yes, this is targeting besides like obvious spearing or, or something. Um, these kind of wishy-washy ones, you have what are called indicators of targeting. And this first hit could be two, two of these indicators, maybe. Uh, one of them is leading with the helmet um, to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area. Um, and it's not just the helmet, you can also lead with the shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow. So basically leading with forceful contact to uh, your opponent's head or neck area. And I guess if you want to count the shoulder, high shoulder as head or neck area, you could get it here, maybe, because there really isn't a good definition of head or neck area. Um, and then lowering the head before attacking by initiating forceful contact with the crown of the helmet. This is actually new as of this year, I didn't realize this, but this indicator here did not used to say crown of the helmet, which would immediately discount this one from being used in this play because there was no crown of the helmet contact that happened during this. So I I don't know. This rule to me is just so poor. And the NCAA keeps trying to fix it kind of with points of emphasis that they put uh, at the beginning of the rule book. So this year they say the definition of crown of the helmet was approved starting with this season, um, which we just discussed. And then the term forcible contact had replace the word initiate contact to ensure the intent of the rule is clear, which is obviously false because the intent of the rule and how it's applied on the field do not jive together. I, I just, I don't understand how they have this. And what's really interesting to me is also in these points of emphasis, they say the use of the helmet as a weapon and intentional targeted contact to the head or neck area, keyword intentional there are serious safety concerns, which I think we can all agree with. So then why don't we have intent with the targeting rule? Yeah, that call didn't make football safer. No, not at all. It was incidental contact. I, what are you going to do? 
Yeah. And I mean, right, it's sort of like the Big 12 championship game all over again. You you lose your starting safety. Same position, right? It was Ashim Young two years ago in the Big 12 championship game. Both wheelers replacing him. Same position early in a game. It's tough. That's really tough to recover from. But the second and third ones we're going to talk about, to me, are worse than um, that. So just a few plays later, um, Colby Weeder gets called for unnecessary roughness on a play where all he does is pushes over a wide receiver within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, I I don't see any way that that's unnecessary roughness. I don't see any way that's a penalty in any way. That that looks like football to me. I was, I was flabbergasted at that call. I was so upset at that I didn't even yell anything at my TV. I just laughed. That's how upset I was at that call. I just laughed. So this one's kind of interesting to me because I thought it was really bad. But then I kind of looked at it again and again, and I think you could make an argument here to call this a blindside block, which is different. Let's talk about a block in the back first, because I had somebody try to tell me this, this could have been a block in the back, which is not true. A block in the back, basically, you have to make contact from the back of the opponent. I think the numbers on the jersey is what you touch. But what happened here was he pushed him on his shoulder and he fell down and he fell really weird, which is what really drew the attention of the official here. If you see a player falling down weird, it's almost always a blindside block um or a block in the back right the way the the baylor player fell really sold it and looking at the replay it looks like it was a crossing route he's looking at the quarterback and he gets pushed or blocked right um without really a way to defend himself from that block which by rule is a blindside block but right it says outside of his field of vision right and this is if you look at it this is not outside of his field of vision because if you watch it you can see one, he moves his hips to try to avoid this contact and starts to put up his hand, right? If you watch the replay, this guy obviously saw a leader coming because he moves his hips and starts to put up his hands to challenge this contact and then gets pushed over, right? So, right, this was obviously in his field of vision because if you watch the replay, he absolutely reacts to, he absolutely reacts to this hit coming. Right. So that's why I see what you're coming from there. But again, he definitely reacts to this play. I've watched this replay a lot and he definitely reacts in two ways seeing this hit coming. So if you can react to it, it's in your field of vision and you can defend yourself. So that's my take, at least. Yeah. Like I said, if you see a player fall like that, that was a weird fall. Right. If you see that as an official, it's probably because something bad happened. I'm not saying anything did here, but. Either way, it's not unnecessary roughness in mind. You might be able to make the argument for a blindside block, maybe, but it's definitely not a UNR. What was unnecessary about that? He was defending a receiver, trying to keep him from catching a pass. The roughness was necessary. Whether or not he did something else illegal, we could debate. But and if So a scenario where this could be unnecessary roughness, if, if the ball was already released and obviously not going to that part of the field. If the target of the ball was well away from that action and he got blocked like that, you might be able to get a UNR there. But since the ball is still in the quarterback's hands at this point, like that ball could still be coming there. You got to make that block as a defender, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, if it was after the play, sure. This is unnecessary roughness. Yeah. Yep. But, but again, the play, or during, during the play and away from, from the target of yes. the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third one came, um, Later in the first half, with about nine minutes left, um, this was Anthony Johnson getting called for a block below the waist. 
um, on defense. So you've got was I can't remember if this was like a run or a little screen pass. Anyway, you've got an offensive lineman pulling out um, into the flat to block for the running back, and Anthony Johnson makes contact with the shoulder of the offensive lineman and lays him out, and then the offensive lineman ends up tripping up the running back. Um, he got called for a block below the waist for this, which is just not right. I don't have anything more to say about that. It, it, it's just not right. He hit a, The first contact was with the shoulder. It's not a block in the back. What's funny is, so the referee threw the flag on this one, the white hat did. And where I was standing on the field at that point, I had the exact same line of sight on this block as the referee did. And I also thought this was uh, a block below the waist, right? So I would have thrown a flag on if I were him. But then you got to look at the replay and see that obviously contact was made with the shoulder and he slid down. Like, it's not actually. Wave the flag off. I don't understand how you can let a penalty like that stand especially at the the booth should have been like hey dog let's look at it is is this play challengeable could matt campbell have challenged this i i, I don't even know what the challenge rules are in college to be honest okay uh, you could ask for a referee conference i guess but you might lose a timeout and in, in this situation in the game i, mean, I don't think he, he wants to take he, that he, risk i mean he ended up calling the timeout anyway just to yell at the referee for two more minutes but i liked that i thought that was good he really went at us the booth, though, the booth official, I think, should have kind of discussed with him and said, hey, that that was not a low block. Wave the flag off. But yeah, like I said, it, when I initially saw it, I thought the same thing for, from my perspective, which was the same perspective as the referee, but it wasn't. That, that's not what it was. So I don't know what you do. Wait, there's another official that's watching that, too. Doesn't another official have to come in and be like, yo, no, that actually wasn't uh, that actually wasn't low. So I don't know it. The, the line judge might have been upfield already because he would have read pass block and then took his key upfield. So the referee might be the only guy that has eyes on it. The umpire might, but uh, he, he also might not because the, the umpire's keys uh, initially are going to be to his right. And then as the play develops, he might move to the left, but it, it's very possible that the referee was the only individual that had eyes on it. Either way, it was not a very, and that one, and it would have been fourth down had there not been called. So that, that was costly for Iowa State. But again, it's not the reason why we lost by any means. No, out of those three, that was the one that hurt us the most. But yeah, yeah we didn't sure. lose because of the officiating. Absolutely not. It didn't even really kill our momentum, like overall. I mean, I've seen an Iowa State team, we get a targeting call that early in the game and then just flop and die the rest of the game. But I mean, like you said, the defense overall wasn't great, but it still functioned. It didn't completely destroy our momentum. And we were in the game at halftime, too. It's not like, yeah. Absolutely. It's not like we just flopped after that point, right? It was 14-17 at the half, and we were getting the ball to start the third quarter. We were certainly still in that game. Um, but yeah, in, Ariane, Wyatt, any other thoughts on that game before we move on to next week and the rest of the Big 12? Um, just penalties in general. We had eight penalties for 78 yards. You can argue the validity of them if you would like. Last week, we had nine penalties for 68 yards. Uh, you know, just keep an eye on it if it becomes a trend. It wasn't too bad in the first two games, but that, that's a lot of penalties for two games. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the procedural penalties, especially in the second half, were bad. Yeah, like two false starts, I think, within within two drives, and yeah, I don't know. And I, you're at home; you shouldn't yeah, false you, start at home. You can't do that. Yeah, that's something that they're going to have to clean up um, with their first uh, Big Twelve road game coming up um, next week. 
But before we start talking about that, um, this it's by no means over for Iowa State, right? You can still, right? You're still in very good position to make a bowl game at three and one. And really the Big 12 sort of got turned on its head a little bit this week. So you are by no means out of a, still a, a Big 12 title shot here. You're going to have to beat some teams that are better than you um, to do it. But Texas lost to Texas Tech. Um, OU got upset at home by K-State. So this is uh, the some of the top teams in the Big 12 took uh, took unexpected losses this last week. And uh, it yeah, so you're still in this, right? Win some games. Go on a little winning streak here before you get uh, the likes of Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas, and uh, you uh, you have a decent chance to be in it come the end of the year. So it's by far not over. But you've got to win next week um, if you're going to um, have a shot at the Big 12 championship game. This is a game we all, uh, in our prediction, said was a must win, um, but the the team they're playing, Kansas, has turned out to be much better. At least so far, they've looked much better than literally anyone thought they were going to look. Um, It's a 2.30 kickoff um, in Lawrence uh, on ESPN2. The Cyclones are currently three and a half point favorites, and FPI gives Iowa State a 61.3% chance to win. Ariane, what are you looking for um, if if the Cyclones are going to beat KU this week? definitely very different game than we were projecting at the beginning of the year um i don't know i i don't stand by my comment at the beginning of the year that if we lose this game the season is done for uh now it's a little bit it's a little different this is the only 4-0 team in the conference their first place um your first and second and third key basically to winning this game is going to be doing something no one has managed to do yet and shut down jalen daniels who is their quarterback who for all intents and purposes has played like a Heisman candidate through four weeks. Um, He is their passing yard leader, obviously, with 890 yards averaging. He's completing 71% of his passes, and he has 11 touchdowns to one interception. Also, shockingly, he's only been sacked one time. I just noticed that. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, But the big, big part of it is he is also their rushing attempt leader and their rushing yardage leader. He has 320 yards on the ground through four games, averaging 8.4 a carry, four touchdowns. He just torched Duke for four passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Their game is run the ball with Jalen Daniels, run the ball with their running backs, of which they cycle through a little bit, and then they are going to pass to set up the run. Some teams run to set up the pass and the play action. They want to run the ball as much as possible. So if we can stop them on the run, which is much easier said than done. I think we have quite a good chance. Um, it'll be interesting. I think he's played some decent teams so far, and he's looked legit. Um, you hope our offense has a little bit better of a week than they did last week, because this is going to be a test for them. He's very mobile. Um, I heard a TV announcer last week say that they had their version of Lamar Jackson on their team. I don't know that he's all the way to Lamar Jackson level, but that's kind of what they likened his play style to. So it's going to be a lot of ground. We're going to be asking a lot from our defensive line and our linebackers. Their defense, meh. I don't know. You you guys have anything that you've noticed or at least see from the box score, the stat sheets? So you're thinking it's going to be a high-scoring affair then? Uh, Yes. I think KU is averaging 50 points a game. 47. They're averaging 47 points per game. 
So uh, pretty darn good at offense. Um, I'm looking to see if I can find what they allow real quick, but I don't see it right now. So doesn't matter that much. But bet the over, not the under. Who's the best team they've played? Is it is Duke the best team they've played? Uh, that depends on how you feel about Houston, I guess. I thought Houston was going to be the best team they played, but they didn't look good in that game. West Virginia is probably not better than Houston. Yeah, no. So either Houston or Duke, probably. But they've played three Power 5 teams. They have. They've played three Power 5 teams, and they have started a little slow, honestly, in a couple of them, but come on strong, and then honestly won pretty convincingly. I mean, Houston uh, also has losses. Houston has losses to Texas Tech and Kansas, um, and they almost lost to a. They almost almost have losses to Rice and UTSA as well. So I think they're not as good as we thought they were, but we'll see. You 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 suffer a little bit from expectations, right? We don't expect KU to really beat any Power Five schools. Then when they beat them, you kind of overrate that. And we maybe have not seen them go up against a school that is super, super strong. And I, I don't know that you can argue that for Iowa State, honestly. We're kind of in a weird in-between year, but we haven't seen them play Duke or OU or OSU. Or they did play Duke. Baylor is what I meant to say. Um, it'll be interesting this week. I, I don't feel super confident, to be honest, but I think we have a chance for sure. I'd coin flip it and I'd feel all right either way. Which is weird. It's not going to be the pushover we thought it was going to be. I mean, look at the last... We talked about this, I think, last episode in our Kansas hype episode. But the last time that Kansas had more than three wins was in 2009, where they came out 5-0 and off the bat. The only like, Power 5 win they would have had in 2009 was against Iowa State, and yep. that was the last win they had. You know, they, they had one conference win. They went 1-7 in conference play that year. And I mean, it, it's still possible they do that this year. West Virginia is bad, right? And they still allowed 42 points, 30 points against Houston and 27 for Duke. Uh, yeah, maybe they're not as good as, as we're hyping them up to be. I don't know. Well, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I think they are good. It's just that the the bar is very low for Kansas. They've already jumped over the bar. And yeah. they need two more wins to get a bowl game this year, which... You could have told me at the end of the year they would need more than two games to get into a bowl game, and I'd say, okay, that makes sense. I don't know why you're telling me this. I assume that. Once the end, once the end of October rolls around, we'll really see how good they are when they play at Oklahoma, at Baylor, and get Oklahoma State at home and back-to-back-to-back weeks. Yep. So. But major props to Coach Leipold there. He's done really good things. You know, You can see some kind of parallels. Uh, between what he has done here already and kind of what Matt Campbell did to our sorry football program. So it'd be nice to see him kind of rise up and, you know, if the conference gets stronger, that's great for us, especially with all the realignment stuff going on. The the better our product can be, the better it is for us all. Absolutely. And maybe he can take on those coaching rumors on going elsewhere. As Yeah, does he want to go to Nebraska? Yeah. Why is Baylor's coach name not coming up in these Nebraska rumors? I saw right? it last still- week. Did you? Okay, I hadn't seen it. I saw it. somebody say the, the loser of the Iowa State-Baylor game should just have to go to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to pass on that because we lost that game. So Yeah, we'll keep that one. Yeah, I don't know. I wish I had some magical, like, you know, mystical prediction that will 100% come true. But to be honest, I really, I don't know. They look good and you keep saying, well, we'll wait until next week and then we'll see what we think about them. <laughs> we'll just keep doing that all year, I feel like. Yeah. Until we see him play somebody who's ranked in the top 25, which unfortunately they are not. 
They are 26. K-State's win over OU put uh, vaulted K-State over KU, um, according to the AP poll voters. So, Which, again, I will say, you can look at the entire uh, list. You can see who voted for who um, in the AP poll, and it's incredible, and I love it. Um, anyway, that's, that's about all I have to say about that. So this week in the NFL was probably a Weirder than this week in college football, which is abnormal. Normally, college football produces a lot more weirdness. But we just had had some really, really weird games. A lot of unexpected results, and I'm not sure if anybody knows who's good, who's actually good or not yet. You had Indianapolis upset the Chiefs in Indy um, with a touchdown with 24 seconds left. You had. Um, the Dolphins knock off the Bills despite uh, the butt punt resulting in a safety um, with less than two minutes left in the game. Um, you had issues um, spiking the football for the Bills. The Bills were unable to spot and spike the football, a lot like the Cowboys um, in the playoffs last year. Um, they were in field goal range-ish. Um, after a play, but did not get out of bounds and were not able to get to the line of scrimmage in time to snap the football, and it cost them what would, what would have been a game-winning uh, field goal try. So it's interesting. You've seen that more um, recently than you have um, in the past. Um, the Vikings had to come back from uh, double-digit deficits twice, um, but they ended up doing that, scoring the go-ahead touchdown with 45 seconds left to come back to beat the Detroit Lions. Um, the Rams ended up outlasting the Cardinals um, in a game in Arizona. And the, the Cardinals just have not lived up to expectations this year. What what happened to Kyler Murray? I've never been a big Kyler Murray believer, honestly. He's so small. I, I know it hasn't mattered so far, but I feel like he's better in fantasy football than he is in real football. Yeah, I mean, he threw the ball for... He threw for 314 yards in the game, but then you look at it and he threw 58 passes to get there. Yeah. The combination of Kyler Murray and um, I'm blanking on their coach's name right now. Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury. Like, I I don't buy that. Cliff Kingsbury is an awful head coach. I don't I've care. I never bought him. From the moment they hired him, I was like, how do you hire a coach in the NFL who just got fired for being mediocre right. at Texas Tech? Like, it's not like he was mediocre at, like, Ohio State or something oh, and got fired. He's he mediocre good. at Texas Tech. And he really, you know, now looking at it, I'm like, well, you had Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's not that hard to win, right? We see that. He's one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't know, you want an NFL team? And he's like, sure, I'll play mediocre and then fail down the stretch like I have every season of my career. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not shocked. To me, the Eagles look like the best team in football. Um, they destroyed the Commanders 24-8, to um, and it was just utterly dominant. Um, the The Commanders didn't score until they got a safety in the fourth quarter um, and didn't score a touchdown until there were two minutes left in the game. Um, I think the Eagles are the best team in football after what I've seen so far. Um, I don't know. Maybe others would disagree, but I really liked what I saw from the Eagles. It appears to be. I mean, I feel like sometimes in a season you'll have like a bunch of teams that you say, maybe they're the best team, maybe they're the best team. This year it feels like we have a bunch of teams where we're like, eh, I don't know. They're fine. Yeah. The Bills just lost to the Dolphins. Are the Dolphins even good? They're playing with a maybe concussed Tua Tango Vailoa. So I, 
it feels very odd. I don't really have a firm grasp on what my power structures should be. Yeah, maybe that'll become clearer after the next week or two. Um, we're approaching the the uh, quarter way through the season here after next week, so we'll have to uh, take a look at that. But um, across the NFL, the Packers um, survived a late rally attempt from the Buccaneers um, and ended up holding on to win that game 14-12. The wide receiverless Buccaneers. They had Russell Gage. Yeah, I guess. They didn't have their top three wide receivers. Russell Gage, Cameron Brait, Shard Perriman, Leonard Fournette, Kyle Rudolph, Cole Beasley, and Sean Miller. Scotty Miller, sorry, were the people who uh, caught passes for them in that game. So, yeah, that wide receiver core was a little bit depleted. But Tom Brady also – or sorry, but Aaron Rodgers also didn't look super great um, in that game either um, in a 14-12 to win. And then the Broncos won, but they still got lots of problems. Um, 11 to 10, as Wyatt mentioned in the intro, the Broncos managed um, to win that football game, but it wasn't pretty. They didn't score a touchdown until there was five minutes left in the game, um, and it was just, just a very, very ugly game. And Russell Wilson has also not looked great. Um, you've got a lot of quarterbacks that we thought were going to be good this year who just have not been good. Like you can almost make an argument that the likes of Ryan Tannehill and and Carson Wentz have been better than Tom Brady and uh, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. So it's been an interesting year at the quarterback position. Just bad in general. He looked that one touchdown drive they had. He made a good throw, scrambled for a first down, had another decent throw. And other than that, just a, a no-show again. Like, he has not even looked... If his name wasn't Russell Wilson, I don't think he'd be starting for very much longer. Agreed. It has not been good. It has not been good. Any other thoughts across the NFL this week? Um, I believe Kyle was upset with Chris Jones for getting a penalty. Yeah, I didn't watch any of that game. From what I understand, he mouthed off to the ref on a fourth down, got a penalty, gave him a new set of downs, then they went down the field and kicked the game-winning field goal, so... Uh, not a very popular man in Kansas City right now. Don't yell at the refs, guys. Just don't. Stupid penalties will uh, will kill you. And uh, in Mike's Stupid Rules, we're going to talk about a uh, another stupid penalty here. This one, we're going to have a, um, a penalty that was called against the Detroit Lions running back um, after scoring a touchdown. So... Um, Jamal Williams just scored his second, had just scored his second touchdown of the game um, in the second half uh, against the Vikings. And uh, he did some weird thing where he did like four hip thrusts in the end zone, um, which he got a flag for that. So I was like, is it actually in the rules that you can't do that? Where, um, where would that be? And so what I found on this one is you're going to have, you're going to look under rule 12, section three, article one, prohibited acts. Um, for unsportsmanlike conduct, um, part D of that um, prohibits any violent gesture or any act that is sexually subjective, su- suggestive, or offensive. I mean, to me, I think four hip thrusts kind of kind of qualify as that. Wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, you could you could say that. I was pulling up the video because I have not seen it yet, so I was gonna check out that sweet sweet replay. Yes, find that video. Yeah, both of you, if you want to find that video. Sorry, I should have linked it for you. But And the first thing that comes to mind when you're describing this is a very popular Key and Peele skit from 
many years ago where it's in football and he does you're only allowed two pumps yeah when you get three <laughs> you get flagged oh yeah that's pretty suggestive there's a lot of gyration in hips there is i'm gonna call that that's a that's flaggable sexiness right there yeah I, that's what i thought i tended to agree i just thought it was funny i was like that's very huh. funny well, i was like what clause did they cite for this i i can see why it's a penalty but i'm just like i want to see how they wrote this into the rule book so there you go an act that is sexually suggestive or offensive that's how that's how they get penalized though I happen to have my NFHS rulebook out in handy, and there is not a provision for that in here. So if if one of your high schoolers did that after scoring a touchdown, what would you do? Uh, well, I think it would fall underneath this category of baiting or taunting acts. But it wasn't directed at the opponent. Uh, that doesn't mean anything. I actually, we threw a flag on a, a kid somersaulting into the end zone one time. Well, yeah, that's... right. I feel like that's the same category as hip thrusting and celebrate excessive hip thrusting and celebration. If it's just like one, I mean, whatever we do three or four times. Ah, I don't know. This one was definitely four times. Yeah. yeah, that that's excessive. Yeah, it ended up not costing him because despite the good field position, Dalvin Cook uh, ended up separating his shoulder and fumbling later in the drive. So didn't cost him, but I just thought it was interesting. It's like, how did they write that into the rule book? So now, you know, don't hip thrust in the end zone or i guess anytime that doesn't just apply to celebrations so if you do that anytime the result will be the same so don't do that that is it for mike stupid rules and we'll move right down now into our accountability session for our write that down predictions where it was uh okay we'll say it was it okay it was above average for sure um week in our accountability session it doesn't start off well the prediction for me saying that the Twins would win the Central. Uh, they fell apart here in these last three weeks, and Cleveland has absolutely earned um, the AL Central title that they clinched um, earlier this week. So for that, I get a... I did redeem myself, however, by predicting that the Cyclones would start exactly 3-1, and one, which they did with the, with the loss to Baylor. So I was upset, but at least I get this to redeem myself. So... Wyatt, on the other hand, has to be doubly upset because they lost, and Wyatt had predicted they'd start 4-0. So he also gets a... Coming from that um, Cyclones loss. Um, Albert Pujols, for those of you who didn't see this last week, did hit his 700th career home run, um, which was just an awesome accomplishment. I don't know if there's any active player that we'll see get there. Aaron Judge probably gets there at some point, I guess. Other than that, I don't think there's any active player who has any chance to get to 700 home runs. That's an incredible... 99 and 700 in the same game. Yes, that's an incredible... I just wish ESPN would have been covering his quest for 700 as hard as they're covering Aaron Judge's quest for 61. Like, did anybody see that during the Iowa State-Baylor game? It's like, Aaron Judge is about to hit... Turn it to ESPN to see him hit. I'm like, no, I'm watching football. Yeah. If I wanted to watch Aaron Judge hit, I'd go turn on the game. That's the New York market for you, I guess. I know. But no, this is a much, much um, bigger accomplishment, in my opinion, for Albert for sure. That's just just incredible and good for him. And I don't good for you, see anybody do it who's uh, active right now, if I was going to guess. How many home runs does Aaron Judge have right now for his career? We know we all know he has sixty this year. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> Let's, Let's see. see. Baseball reference career. 
218 home yeah, runs. So he'd still he'd still have to hit 400 plus more home runs to almost 500 more home runs in his career to get there. And Aaron Judge is already 30, so it's not like he's a kid. I mean, he could still play for 10 more years, but that's a lot of very good years um, yeah. for him to get there. So, And he's been in the majors, what, five years? This is his seventh year, but the first year was um, a partial year. And remember, 2020 was shortened. Oh, so. yeah. This is his fifth full season, and then he has two partial seasons, 2020 and then his rookie year in 2016. Oh, for just looking at full seasons, it he's at 43.6 per season. Yeah. In his yeah. In his four full season or his five now full seasons, we'll call it, he's hit 52, 27, 27, 39, and 60. So roundabouts. If he was going to continue at his average rate, he would need to play a little over 11 seasons at the same rate he's hitting now. Yeah, which would be incredible. Yes, that would be a big surprise in all-time Hall of Fame career because that's, you know, what yeah, Albert that, Pujols is. Yes. Anyway, sorry, back to this. Oh, and you get a ding-ding-ding. Oh, yeah, ding-ding. Woo! That, that's what we're actually talking about. I kind of yes. forgot, honestly. Just an incredible, incredible contrapuls. And from everything I hear, he's a great guy too. So he deserves it. So the last prediction to come off the board was from Josh, who predicted before Monday Night Football last week that the Vikings would lose, making the entire NFC North be one and one. The Vikings did get absolutely throttled by the Eagles. Um, Josh, it's correct there. So he gets a ding 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 ding. As I put some things back up on the board, I am going to grab an oar and start rowing the boat with the University of Minnesota um, football team here. They have been um, absolutely dominant in their um, in their first few games, um, their first four games this year. Um, it's been, yeah, they've just been awesome. They are first in the nation in um, time of possession. Minnesota's averaging 40 minutes and 34 um, seconds of possession per game, but they're also third nationally in plays of greater than 10 yards. So they've got this awesome mix of offense where it's both um, possess the ball and also um, big play offense to keep moving the chains. Um, they outscored their opponents by more than 120 points total through four games. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I'm going to say they're going to go to the Rose Bowl or better. How much more do you buy Minnesota than Kansas? Oh, a lot more. Like how much more? Like with, twice with Kansas, as much. Who have with they Kansas, played? He might have an oar, but with Minnesota, he's actually getting a motor to put on the boat. Oh yeah. Uh, Minnesota has played. They garbage beat New teams. Mexico. They beat I was New say, Mexico. Are any of these teams good? Teams. No. Western Illinois, Colorado. Uh, Michigan State. Michigan State. Michigan State was a top fifteen team two weeks ago. Yeah, but they're actually. Garbage. I see they're not anymore. <laughs> Lost to the Huskies. Like that's bad. who are a top fifteen team? That's true. I forgot they're actually right. But I'm not zipped. saying not saying Michigan State is a is a top fifteen team, but like their losses are to number fifteen Washington and number twenty one Minnesota. It's not like they got beat by clean puffs. That's fair. But anyway, but yes, I am. Yeah. I am rolling the boat. I am all in. But let me just confirm quick. To be fair, the Huskies were not ranked when they played them, and neither were the Gophers. So 
Hmm. This doesn't seem yeah, likely. Yeah, the Gophers were not ranked at the time. R- Rose Bowl or better doesn't seem likely. To be. I agree. Well, yeah, so is it, triple at least. Home run. Yeah. Yeah. I'll this say feels like, yeah, this feels like a home run. Because you also have to battle, you know, a little bit of media narrative, a little, you know. The Rose yeah. Bowl is very prestigious. I don't know that Minnesota is really a top tier drawing program yeah. that they want to put on national TV. Yeah, you've got to be this. Basically, you've got to be the second best team in the conference to get there, presuming that the winner of the incoming Ohio State Michigan showdown goes to the playoff. Then whoever's second best in the Big Ten will go to the Rose Bowl. So, all right, do we have anything from Josh so. this week? Is he still alive? He's still alive. I asked him if he had a prediction, and he just responded, nah. <laughs> that's a strikeout. So, that's a strikeout. There's, there's no uh, no uh, questions about that one. I'm going to predict that the Iowa State-Kansas game will be decided by at least two scores or more. You're not going to say who wins? You're just going to say that it will be two scores or more? No, no. I'm not going to say who wins. It will not be close. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say it's not going to be close. Is this a double, a triple? What do you think? Um, is it two scores? By two scores, do you mean two touchdowns? 14 points or more. 14, okay. okay. That was going to be my follow-up question. That's fair. I'll I'll, I'll change that. Okay. Sorry, we're both trying to change it at the same time. You you go ahead. Right, yeah. Was Um, it like, yeah. I feel like like two one-point safeties. Double (laughs) and triple? I'd be shocked if it was over 14. That's way. a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to go triple with this. I'm down for a triple. Triple it is. Kyle's not here this week, but I believe he has a prediction. Is that correct? He does, yes. He's uh, enjoying some well-deserved vacation time. But he is going to predict, um, going back to F1, that Lando Norris wins a race this year. And I will just defer to Wyatt and let him decide what this is. I the, My gut reaction is a home run and... That's because it is. Sounds good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I, I trust you. I have no reason to believe you're leading us astray. I, I want to see it. And like, if we really want to break it down, technically, we probably could bring it down to a triple. But I, I'm not about that life. We're going to have Kyle a home run for that. Fine with me. You got our end. Sounds good. My prediction this week that was uh, on the board before Wyatt's uh, is that the ISUKU game ends with less than a seven point margin. That is true. I did steal your prediction and then make the opposite. Less than seven. Yep. That's more likely than more than 14. So this I is agree. less than a triple. The question is, is this a single or a double? I mean, ISU is two and a half point favorites, which means in a, or three and a half point favorites, sorry. Which means in a perfect world, this is a like a three or four point game. Yep. So this is probably a single? Or are you thinking double, Wyatt? Uh, I think you're right. I think it's probably a single. That's fair. I wasn't sure whether I'd get a single or a double, but I thought I'd go for it. With a single, a triple, two home runs, and a strikeout from Josh. That concludes Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 192. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!